Hey everybody, welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for independent commentary on cultural news and politics, where it's always our mission to arm you with the tools that you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mononarrative. I'm here with the usual suspects, David Rand and Kyle Mack. How are you boys? It's good, good. Fantastic, man. Good. Yeah, feeling good. What are we talking about today, David? Well, first up, we Tucker Carlson has been confirmed as a Russian asset, and we're going to talk about that. I knew it. Uh, a new immigration Always. bill dies a terrible death thanks to a based Speaker of the House who is based with a capital B. With a capital B. Uh, Nikki Haley is so unpopular, she loses to literally anybody but Nikki Haley. <laughs> and oh, it is too funny not to talk about. We're going to be talking about that and yeah. other election updates. And while you're here, like, comment, subscribe, wherever you are. Um, I know we just had 1,000 subscribers on TikTok. Our freest platform is what it seems to be, is the Chinese platform, right? <laughs> Thank you, CCP. We appreciate it. And we are, like, right there next to YouTube exclusives. We're, like, two watch hours away. We're, like, right there. It's 44 watch hours away, but that's basically two. Yeah. Yeah. If everybody this episode just watches will, an hour. Yeah, this episode will bring us over the edge. No that's problem. right. That's right. Um, yeah. We have some big news here, you guys. We have to give credit where credit is due. Our esteemed colleague, David Rand, is now a published journalist via the Mises Institute. Give it up for him. Yes, sir. Yeah. He had an article Dude. published uh, yesterday, today. Today, this, today. this morning. Yep. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, we're going to link it in the show notes so that you can go check it out. It's awesome. We're so happy for you, David. Congratulations. Really oh, man, it's such a huge moment for me because it's like I've been reading Mises.org forever. I uh, learned so much from those guys, and I formulated, uh, you know, with the Young Voices, who are a partner, who's my partner on this, uh, a an article they helped me write it and get all the way through the editorial process which i need an editor i'm not the best writer without someone to bounce ideas off of and they did a fantastic job pitching it and got it right in awesome so hopefully we, we see more from you on that front yes sir yeah, yeah, so, for. so dave's showcasing his big brain right now and i think next we gotta move over to there was a very uh, important clip coming from the big brains leading our country right mm. now uh, God, I can so, only imagine what this is going to be. So let's uh, let's let's hear what he has to say. There is some movement, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, maybe choose my words. There's some movement. There's been a response from the. Uh, the, the there's been a response from. The opposition. Yeah, I hear you. Man. But um, <laughs> it, it, yes. yes, I'm sorry. We're from Hamas, but it seems to be uh, a little over the top. We're not sure where it is. There's, there's continuing negotiation right now. There- a little yeah. over the top. A little there. over the top. Hamas. <laughs> Hamas. They're not. They're known for their. Uh- dialing it in the response is just right you know? yeah so i don't want to undermine your big brain david but i mean you got some heavyweights that he's, you're dealing he's with here. running the free con- the free world over here um yes running Ooh. running running so many things he's they're, they're a little over the top <laughs> i'd say at best he's roomba we got to give credit where credit's due on that joke too though that came from shane gillis's stand-up special is that that's true? where that came from oh well i yeah. just like i just like saying it. I just, yeah i mean it's I good it's so good accurate. but i just want to make sure that nobody yes. thinks we're plagiarizing jokes it. yeah we're not trying to carlos Mencia this shit. I, can, I can i can plagiarize 
Well, 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 well I don't know. Intellectual about that. properties, a joke. Says the guy who just had an article published. <laughs> <laughs> you want to copy it and say it's your own? Have at it. Hey, the Harvard president did it. <laughs> Gay! Because her name is Claudine Gay. Yes. I see you the pull out. Yeah, I see yeah. what you're doing. All right. All right. Tucker Carlson so, is a Russian asset. All the media told me so. What's going on here, Kyle? Yeah, so unfortunately, we had to reschedule our our recording time, and this is happening just before the interview comes out, so we can't actually cover the actual interview itself. Hopefully, we can still do that later. Yeah. But I think a lot of the media hype around it and, and the anti-Tucker sentiment that's happening in the media is very interesting. We have a bunch of things from like Hillary Clinton talking about how he's so clearly an asset and he just gets fired from everywhere. You have CNN just like losing their mind over this. Um, but I think we should probably start off talking about Tucker explaining why he's in Moscow right now. Yeah, yeah. let's hear from him himself. We're here to interview the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. We'll be doing that soon. There are risks to conducting an interview like this, obviously. So we thought about it carefully over many months. Here's why we're doing it. First, because it's our job. We're in journalism. Our duty is to inform people. Two years into a war that's reshaping the entire world, most Americans are not informed. They have no real idea what's happening in this region, here in Russia or 600 miles away in Ukraine. But they should know. They're paying for much of it in ways they might not fully yet perceive. The war in Ukraine is a human disaster. It's left hundreds of thousands of people dead, an entire generation of young Ukrainians, and it's depopulated the largest country in Europe. But the long-term effects are even more profound. This war has utterly reshaped the global military and trade alliances, and the sanctions that followed have as well. And in total, they have upended the world economy. The post-World War II economic order, the system that guaranteed prosperity in the West for more than 80 years, is coming apart very fast, and along with it, the dominance of the U.S. dollar. These are not small changes. They are history-altering developments. They will define the lives of our grandchildren. Most of the world understands this perfectly well. They can see it. Ask anyone in Asia or the Middle East what the future looks like. And yet the populations of the English-speaking countries seem mostly unaware. They think that as nothing has really changed. And they think that because no one has told them the truth. I think we can pause there for now. But you get kind of the idea. Great point. He goes on for another couple minutes here explaining it. But uh, clearly the Western media is not happy with him. He's talking about how Putin's not taking any other journalists from the American press. Um, he Tucker, I think, made a misstatement in his video. I think he says this later, but he he says that nobody's even trying to get an interview with uh, with Putin. Mm. That's not true. So, like, that's what the the media is kind of trying to cling on to right now. They're like, oh, we we tried, we tried, but Putin won't let us because we're not Russian assets, right? Like, that's the way that they're trying to paint it, right? But but in reality, the truth is that Putin probably looks at their coverage of things happening in America and is going, well, they're not going to going to fairly report what I have to say. They're going to twist it in every way they possibly can to suit their narratives. Right. With how the media largely covered the Ukraine war, especially right. Exactly. Which was a mono narrative is of the best example where it was an interpretation that was just happened to benefit the political and foreign policy aspirations of the American foreign policy elite in the blob. And so when that happens, of course, what he would see is this is a person who's not going to say my side fairly, yeah. and which is what you want. I mean, what you want out of journalists is not to 
filter for you what, what the point of view is, is to fairly state it. Maybe commentate on it, but at least fairly state it up front. Yeah. Well, and that, so that's one of the things here is uh, the, the Kremlin actually came out to kind of get ahead of these types of statements saying the Kremlin says Putin agreed to interview with uh, Tucker Carlson because he differs from traditional Anglo-Saxon media. He has a position that differs from the rest of Western media. It's not pro-Russian by any means, and it's not pro-Ukrainian, rather it's pro-American, but at least it stands it's uh, in clear contrast to the position that the traditional Anglo-Saxon media takes, right? Mm-hmm. Which there's been plenty of interviews in the past of Putin by people like CNN, NBC, et cetera, name them, like all the, all the alphabet soup agencies that are our media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're always very, they're not very productive, <laughs> I would say. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them are one, they dub over him with like a very aggressive sounding Russian man. So it makes him seem like he's like way more aggressive than he actually is. But when you actually listen to him speak, he's actually way more stoic and like calm mannered mm. usually in his interviews, right? And they're all just like, why did you kill this person? <laughs> you know, you're poisoning people. And then and, and Putin having to be like, ah, you know, <laughs> right? Like, That's how these go things again. go, right? Yeah. You know? So it may, I, I think it makes perfect sense that he's just like, yeah, I'm going to actually have somebody that's going to maybe not be so aggressive with their media practices, right? Yeah. Well, maybe minimum. I mean, the, the ideal, not having seen it, but just commentating on the potential is for Tucker to both push on him, you know, fairly like a journalist should ask him hard questions. But like, it's not going to be questions that are going to benefit or be set up in the paradigm of American hegemony, right? It's going to be set up in paradigm of like, why aren't you just doing everything that Foggy Bottom says you should do, right? It's going to be in the paradigm of why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, right. I mean? which is way more, which obviously is what most people want out of their media personnel. Right. Well, I mean, I think about the value that could come from truly understanding Russia's motivations here. I mean, that that can absolutely swing public sentiment. You know, if people trust what is being said, Right. But if you don't have reporting that's accurate or that you feel is at least accurate, you have no idea if you can believe that narrative or not. Yeah. I mean, if you ask, I think if you ask the average American, why did why did Russia invade Ukraine? They're going to be like, well, because he's Hitler and he wants to dominate the world. Something like that. Yeah. And at, at, in the best case scenario, they're going to say, yeah, like he's a terrible person. He did it so that he can get the spoils of war, but it's not our business. Right. That's the best outcome you can get. I don't think you're going to, very few people are going to say NATO encroachment and we were there and we've been doing all this since 2014 and the made on revolution, all the stuff that we've covered and all, all, all our audience knows average person not going to know that. So yeah. hopefully this increases the average IQ of some strategic empathy to understand Russia's point of view. So what exactly have the media been saying about Tucker in the lead up to this interview, which as we mentioned is going to be published tonight. Hopefully this episode will be out just before then. So what we have here is from CNN and they're trying to basically, they're taking every piece of his little four minute clip here and then trying to attack it. Right? So we'll, we'll, we'll start with the CNN clip. Interview the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. Tucker Carlson is lying from the streets of Russia, no less. Lying? Not a single Western journalist has bothered to interview the president of the other country involved in this conflict, Vladimir Putin. That's a lie. Serious news outlets, including CNN, have requested Putin to interview over and over again. Most Americans have no idea why Putin invaded Ukraine or what his goals are now. They've never heard his voice. 
another lie. Serious news outlets, including CNN, have covered and, of course, reported on Putin's words since this war began, including one of his baseless justifications for the invasion of Ukraine, which he initially claimed was to stop the Nazis. First, because it's our job. We're in journalism. Tucker Carlson <laughs> is not a journalist. Oh, not even close. oh. And his former employer in a court case actually agreed, quote, the general tenor of the show should then inform a viewer that Carlson is not stating actual facts about the topics he discusses and is instead engaging in exaggeration and non-literal commentary. You get the idea of where all this is going. Right? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so first up, uh, I need to say this. Uh, she's wrong about the Nazi situation in Ukraine. Now, is that an actual motivation? No, it's, it's, it's a branding motivation, I would suspect, by Russia. When they say, we're doing this to stop the Nazis from killing Russians in, in Ukraine, what he's talking about is the Donbass War that went on for many years, and tens of thousands of people died it. And are there literal Nazis who are participating in that? Yeah, that was the fact. That was the reporting of the war, of, of the tragedy that was happening, of the shelling of cities in the Donbass since 2014 till 2020, or sorry, 2020, uh, yeah, 2020. Mm-hmm. That entire time was covered as, look at all these strange Nazi bounds. You can find Vice Television doing in-depth reporting, uh, Vice TV doing in-depth reporting uh, embedded amongst like literal national socialist, racist Ukrainian militias in the Donbass in like 2019 and 2018. So it's like, it's crazy for them to go back and be like that. Yeah, that's not a real motivation. Well, it's like, well, yeah, that's branding the motivation, but it's not inaccurate. I mean, it's like, it's there. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that he said. What, what I don't need, she is literally giving commentary as she says that while criticizing Tucker of having commentary as he says also true things. Well, and I, I love speaking of branding, how she repeatedly reiterates that CNN is a serious news outlet. <laughs> like, just so you know, we're super serious, we're very serious. Yeah. And the the additional thing is you have the neocons going crazy right on Twitter about this. I, I'm just pulling up four random runs right here. Like there's these there's these accusations here that are basically suggesting that Tucker Carlson is getting honey potted and Putin sending in ballerinas to. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got to explain this. So George Bernard Shaw, uh, who was he, Kyle? Um, Eugenicist. But yes. yeah, but he, he, he was uh, he was one of the reasons why the the during just after the Russian Revolution, he thought everything was going so great there, right? Because he was a socialist and he was saying, oh man, you know, everything's going so well in Russia and because they cultivate a very specific experience in Russia from the like, oh, we're going to go tour this factory. Look how great the factory conditions are. And when in fact, in USSR is actually going terrible. So what he's kind of saying is that, oh man, this, uh, Tucker's getting a cultivated experience of Russia to specifically twist his coverage. And here's him at a shopping market and... And George Bernard Shaw, correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be mixing him up with somebody else in my mind. He was he was an Irish guy that went and reported in the Soviet Union. Is is that who I'm correct. thinking of right yeah. now? Right? He, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, he was. He's, he like, was he's a, like an Irish like playwright or something. Uh, he is a playwright. Yes. So, yes. I just remember him being big in eugenics. Yeah. <laughs> but, he's yeah. a multifaceted Renaissance man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Irish playwright, critic, polemicist, and political activist. Yeah. But, so so I but mean, he got he, is, got he got he got propagandized by the soviets and made some wrong statements that really played out terribly for the west because they believe the guy right mm. um and so this guy's obviously indicating that you know tucker wouldn't be able to tell the difference between 
these things. Yep. So yeah, you have this guy who's a, a journalist down in Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's the Ukraine. His name bio is Jay in Kiev, in Kiev. Question: Do we know is Tucker there, like moving about on his own accord, or is he being toured around by some representative of the Kremlin? There, there's been a lot of videos that have come up from Russian journalists that have encountered him, and it seems like Tucker's with his own entourage while he's going around, um, like his producers and things like that, like. Um, there's been multiple videos that are like, I'm Russian journalist. Have you interviewed Putin yet? You know, there's been a bunch mm. of those floating around. So it seems not, like he's on his own. So it's not like they could very easily under those circumstances, make sure that every shop he went into was well stocked or, or whatever. They couldn't necessarily pull a uh, George Bernard Shaw on him if, if he's able to move freely about the country. Yeah. And then he's obviously indicating that there's a honeypot situation going on here with the uh, per, young ballerinas, uh, uh, you know, quoting, scare quote, ballerinas with perfect English to pop up everywhere in Moscow, eager to get him to intimate compromising positions, which is just pure speculation. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely, and this is. Uh, but all the neocons are retweeting this, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Don't uh, believe you, anything he says because ballerinas. You also have uh, Bill Crystal here, um, one of the top neocons himself. Perhaps we need a total and complete shutdown of Tucker Carlson re-entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what's going on. Oh, oh yeah, my yeah. God. Right? Yeah. Um, this guy. <laughs> you got Gary Kasparov or, uh, retweeting Steve Rosenberg, who's another... Uh, Steve Rosenberg says, interesting to hear Tucker Carlson claim that no Western journalists have bothered to interview Putin since the invasion of Ukraine. We've lodged several requests with the Kremlin in the last 18 months, always a no for us. And then Gary Kasparov is the professional... Like, he used to be the number one chess player. He's Russian. He's very... Now he's very, like, in the neocon, neoliberal, anti-Russia, America supremacy sphere huh. in po- politically. Um, he says, because you're not, you're an actual journalist, Steve, not a Kremlin toady as uh, Amanpour, that's how you say that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And others have pointed out even, even a managed show with a legitimate journalist is unacceptable to a dictator like Putin. Why spend two decades crushing free media uh, otherwise, right? That's a good criticism. I mean, Putin has problems as a dictator where he's, he's definitely spent time giving a hard time to his media opponents and dominating media in this country. The trick is, is so has Zelensky. And yet one side we've chosen to support in this war. And how much of how much of the rhetoric around that is American propaganda too? Yeah, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how much free press exists in Russia, but there are examples uh, in, that we've heard about that you've seen in the media of uh, people losing broadcasting license in Russia for, for criticizing Putin, but maybe they lost it because they forgot to pay their stuff. I don't know. Um, of Russia today being kind of pushed in Russia while other competing uh, institutions can't. It would be like if you got on television and PBS was the only television channel you could find anymore. Yeah. Be like, my understandings, because I've looked into this in the past because I, I always, whenever I hear the same buzzwords being thrown, right. Putin's a thug, two yeah. Putin's a killer, Putin's a, sure. he's stifling, he has a propaganda bill, blah, all this yeah. stuff. When you look into it, you're like, oh, it's like, there's like half truths laced yeah. in there. It's the same thing. Like the prop, the, the, the anti-gay propaganda bill, all, what it is is that teachers can't teach this to kids. Yeah. It's like, if you're under 18, you can't propagate the, the anti-propaganda bill is you cannot propagandize children. Yeah. Like, like that's what it is. But then you have in Western media being like Putin hates the gays, yeah. right? Like that's how it gets. The same way they do it in Florida right? with the Santas. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the same people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and once again, I'm not saying I'm, he's just the head of a government and all governments are evil and corrupt and mm-hmm. terrible. So we well, don't be surprised if his government does things we don't like as well. 
that doesn't suggest, of course, that therefore he's even like any different from any of these other people or actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really the difference is that it, a lot of people are just low IQing this and they're just like Russia bad, therefore interview of Russian man bad. Which is, it, yeah, which is the, yeah. It's a weak argument because, you know, we just got done talking about China, obviously, and we, we criticized China for their control that was of earlier media. today, just so everyone knows. We didn't actually just get <laughs> well earlier today, yes, <laughs> yeah, prior to recording this yeah, conversation. Yeah. We criticized China for their, you know, control of their of their media, and yet uh, we have American citizens who should ostensibly believe in the First Amendment, saying that a journalist shouldn't be able to report to American citizens, uh, you know, unredacted uh, what a what a leader of a, a foreign power has to say, and I think that's. I mean, that's just very obviously super hypocritical. Here. Yeah. You got this guy saying that the EU should sanction Tucker Carlson because he is no journalist, but a leading Kremlin propagandist. The EU has rightly sanctioned a score of leading Kremlin propagandists and many Europeans for various reasons. It would be a mistake not to sanction Tucker Carlson. Keep in mind that the Ukrainian government killed an American citizen because he was a Russian propagandist, probably in a work camp. To me, the term Russian propagandist is sort of analogous to you know referring to someone as hitler right and as we were talking about before the show as well you call someone hitler all of a sudden you can't uh build a criticism of the person calling that person hitler you can't come to their defense or their aid or or find any redeeming qualities because if you do you're defending literal hitler right right calling someone a russian propagandist is just like cutting the legs out from underneath them without ever actually contending with the arguments or the statements that they've made well that's the goal Exactly. The goal is to, to shut down debate, to stifle dialogue. The, the, exactly. fun, the funny thing is that's exactly what Putin said in the documentary with Oliver Stone. So I, I rewatched Oliver Stone's documentary with Putin for the lead up of this, just to kind of refresh my memory on some of these things. Oliver Stone back in 2017 put out a four part, like hour each for each part, uh, interview process that he had done with Putin over two years, basically from the 2015 to 2017 period. So before 2016 election, after 2016 election, you kind of get the whole picture of that. And, uh, in the aftermath of the 2016 election where everything is Russia hacked the election, all that stuff, right? Uh, that's what Putin compared it to, uh, to anti-Semites, uh, blaming the Jews on everything. (laughs) He, He said in America, it's very, it's very popular to just blame Putin on uh, or blame Russia on everything because it's a boogeyman. But all it is, is, is just the internal squabbling of, of, uh, of American politics. And it says much more about American political culture right now and how much that needs to be fixed rather than anything actually going on geopolitically. Totally. Um, but it was funny cause he, he said, uh, he used the anti-Semitism as a reference. For Interesting. Yeah. Wow. What did Hillary have to say? So <laughs> Hillary got interviewed or Hillary was interviewed by uh, MSNBC, you know, another one of these people. And uh, there was two spots in the interview that I thought was very interesting. Uh, this is her talking about how much of a puppy dog that Tucker Carlson is. <laughs> I mean, he's like a puppy dog. You know, he somehow has, after having been fired from so many outlets in the United States, he, uh, I would not be surprised uh, if he emerges with a contract with outlet because he is a useful idiot. They bleep he Russia. says things that are not true. He parrots Vladimir Putin's uh, pack of lies about Ukraine. Uh, so I don't see why Putin wouldn't give him an interview because through him, he can you know continue to lie about what his you know objectives are in Ukraine and, and uh, you know what he expects to see happen. It's really quite sad that not just somebody like Tucker Carlson, who has, as I said, been fired so many times because he seems unable to 
you know, correlate his uh, reporting with the truth, um, but also because it's a sign that there are people in this country right now who are like a fifth column for Vladimir Putin. And why? I don't know. I mean, why are certain Republicans throwing their lot in? Why are, you know, other Americans basically believing uh, Putin? Why did Trump believe Putin more than our 11 intelligence agencies? Hmm, I don't know. Do you have a working theory? I do have a working theory. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is that that journalism right there. (laughs) This is the good journalism at MSNBC. Are we going to get to... Not, not pushing back a psychopathic, warmongering, <laughs> terrible human being whose millions of lives are dead, are gone today because of Hillary Clinton's policies in the Middle East. As a senator and then as secretary of state. And this lady's just be like, oh yeah, I guess they're all just Russian clans, all the people who are, don't agree with your American foreign policy establishment beliefs. Oh my goodness. So I was just I was just looking at the comments below. <laughs> oh, as if the words of a pedo's wife mean anything. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, Twitter is always good. They for don't some even comments. need that. I mean, I'm like, it's it's just just even <laughs> knowing funny. anything of her record as a senator and as Secretary of State should completely disqualify her from any amount of commentary about someone else's point of view on foreign policy. It's completely ridiculous. Well, She's what? been wrong about every single decision for a decade. And she was wrong to call Tucker Carlson a puppy dog because pu- people love puppy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> bad branding. Bad, well, bad branding. There's, another, there's another clip that I want to play here from Hillary as well from the same interview. Um, it's 30 seconds. I'll, I'll, it's oh yeah, it's more it than just the political partisan advantage. There is a yearning for leaders who can kill and imprison their opponents, destroy the press, <laughs> uh, lead a life that is one of impunity unbound by any laws there's a yearning among certain people in our country for that kind of leadership and i find that absolutely gobsmacking terrifying that That this is is the this is the (laughs) do the thing and blame your opponent for doing the thing thing that we're witnessing right here what did what did Zelensky's regime do who did they kill a journalist that was critical of the Zelensky regime yeah hmm Guys. Well, well, and there's also because this is another element when I when I've watched previous Putin interviews or when I've watched that Oliver Stone documentary or uh, there's been a bunch of like NBC MSNBC interviewing Putin before and they'll ask him about like killing your political opponent all like all the propaganda that we hear around that which may or may not be true like I'm not saying it's is or isn't true um, there's just a lot there's not a whole lot of evidence that's actually been put forward that suggests that it is true right well but he'll he'll then always smack back well. What about all the people in prison for January 6th? (laughs) It's just like a very simple thing where you're like, you know, maybe we should look inward too before we start looking outward towards these other countries. Clean your room. Yeah, that doesn't mean that Putin. Yeah, (laughs) clean your room. That was good. Thank you. That was a good impression. Thank you. Oh, clean your room. (laughs) Hail lobster. (laughs) That doesn't mean that Putin doesn't kill his political opponents. It's just that Hillary Clinton has literally in the same interview accused all the people who disagree with their foreign policy of, of being a fifth column for another country. That indicates that she'd be willing to use the power of the state. In fact, as secretary of the state, the FBI was actively investigating the presidential candidate of the number one contender from the opposite party. Right. If there's a weaponization of the DOJ or the FBI or the CIA, it was under her watch. Mm-hmm. 
as Secretary of State. So she's everything she's accusing Putin of. She's just the American feminazi version of it. Well, what, well and a lot of the things good. going on in the Middle East are literally just Hillary Clinton going in as Secretary of State and the people around her going in and manipulating elections to prop up people, right? Yeah, like, 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 like that's that's what happened in Yemen, right? Yes. It's her going in and just installing somebody because there was only they're like, hey, we're bringing democracy to Yemen. Oh, there's only one person on the ballot, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. right? Like it's like that type of stuff, right? Oh yeah, for uh, sure. So it, it is so crazy. I I mean, watching her literally accuse. Uh, and and the, the 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 sheer amount of unaware i i can just say whatever i want and i'm not gonna be criticized by this this person in front of me while she's saying what we really need is someone who's going to hold putin accountable while getting no accountability from this person while she is literally actually a former official of this country is yeah. is so is so it shows media as partisan propaganda tool rather than informative tool yeah well, and to me, it, I mean, all of this defense against whatever it is that Putin has to say has me wondering, what is it that they're so afraid of that he's going to say, right? What, what is he going to illuminate or propagandize, you know, if, if you want to take their side of it, uh, upon the American people about the Ukraine war or about, you know, what inconsistencies is he going to reveal in their positions over the course of the last couple of years? Well, and, and something else too is just, I, I highly recommend people watch that Oliver Stone documentary with Putin. Like, like I said, it's, it is recorded from 2015 to 2017 and it humanizes him. It doesn't put like these like aggressive Russian dubbers on top of him that make him sound like he's very, you know, like crazy. Cause I think that's what a lot of people's takes are is they hear Putin talk because they're putting like MSNBC's putting this crazy Russian on top of him to, to, to speak the English for you. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're thinking that he's way more like, aggressive aggressive and erratic than he actually is when in reality when you hear him just talking from his own voice he's just like very calm he's very you know he's very stoic it's very um and and he'll just explain it's like well i had a conversation with obama about this and you know oh we we me and obama would talk every day when this was going on and he's just like explaining the dynamics of how the geopolitics of all this works and it's it's very fascinating like i recommend people watching it and just seeing like there's four hours of putin for you judge for it right Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, I'd like to just break for a quick commercial uh, presentation from our sponsor, the Kremlin. <laughs> <laughs> I am a Russian asset. <laughs> um, th- there's a, uh, in this vein, I, I want to play one of my top Trump moments ever when he was asked by Bill O'Reilly during the Super Bowl several years ago. Uh, rem- remember that interview during, mm-hmm. during the Super Bowl when it was like 2017, right? I just want to play, this is one of my favorite Trump moments talking about this. Do you respect Putin? I do respect him. Do you? Why? Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with him. He's a leader of his country. Uh, I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a major fight, and Islamic terrorism all over the world, major fight, that's a good thing. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer, though. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. You get a lot of killers. Why well, you think our country's so innocent? Ooh, it's real though. That's that's. Just, <laughs> yeah. No, he's right. He's right. <laughs> I mean, but but you see, like Bill O'Reilly, the guardian of conventional wisdom. Like, did you know that Russia isn't under control over you know by by America, and they can say no to things. And so, therefore, they're bad guys. He's a and he's just like, well, you know, he's, he's another leader of another country. Like, 
there's a vision of America as we're one country amongst a bunch of other countries. We're trying to get along so we can have peace and prosperity, whatever. And then there's a view that American foreign policy establishment elite should dominate the world. And if they don't dominate the world, Hitler comes back and, you know, everyone dies. World War II again. Yeah. These are stupid worldviews, right? The, the latter one. Yeah. Trump's worldview is completely reasonable. We're just one country amongst others. We can't control everything. And given the, the absence of control of, of North Korea or, or China or Russia or whatever, you should come to the table and say, hey, how can we get along? How can we work things out? But he kills his political opponents. Like that's like most dictators all over the world throughout all time do that. Yeah. You don't just not deal with them. You think Mubarak was like, hey, you know, political opponent, let's go have tea. No, Mubarak um, killed people, right? He was a, he was an Egyptian dictator for like 30 years, 40 years, and we supported him the entire time. Mm-hmm. We supported him. We gave him aid. Well, that, that, that exposes the dichotomy. It's like if you can be a bad guy if you're on our team, right? Yeah. If you're under our control. But I'm, if you're not, then you're, you're enemy number one. Under Hillary Clinton, we supported the Saudi Arabian regime that killed a journalist who worked for an American company. Uh, Khashoggi? Yeah. Yeah. So like, and yeah, we're still supporting Saudi Arabia. No one's going to her and be like, hey, did you know that Saudi Arabia is a bunch of killers? No, because they will do what we ask them to do because we station our troops there to guarantee their passage of oil and stuff. Mm-hmm. Come on. Come Crazy. on. Crazy. Oh, I got one for you. Come on, man. Ah, Come on, man. Uh, have you guys ever read um, like, or studied any of Alexander Dugan, who's like the political science guru behind uh, Putin? Um, Not like you have. Yeah. Putin propagandist. <laughs> true. Yeah, true. Just right from the Kremlin right here. So w- when, the, uh, when the war broke out with Russia and Ukraine, um, I went and tried to find... There was a lot of talk around Dugan that started popping up. So I, I went and tried to find some of his books and I was like, I'm just curious. I want to I read it. And I found his book, The Fourth Political Idea... or the, Sorry, The Fourth Political Theory to be a very fascinating read in view of geopolitics. It was written back in 2009. Hmm. And the way that he looked at the world... And it's actually... Watching through that Oliver Stone documentary, you can see where he's inspired Putin too, this hmm. guy. Um, he, he looked at the world as there, there's been these three great political ideologies in recent years, Western liberalism, communism, fascism. And Dugan's proposing to the Russians that in order for us to be great, because we're no longer great, everything fell apart in the last century. It sucked. It was bad. And he's condemning where Russia was over the last hundred years, as Putin does too. Like Putin hates the communists, right? Everybody wants to think it's like the return of the Soviet Union. No, like they, they want to do away with that. They want to do away with that history. Um, it makes no sense too. too. He mm-hmm. is an owner of private capital now. One of the largest in the world. Yeah. Why would he be a communist? That just makes no sense, right? I mean, yeah. Well, well and, and that was the thing. So like what Dugan is proposing is we need to learn from the other great three ideologies, dispense with the negatives of those ideologies and take the positives of them. Mm. So like we need to embrace certain elements of Western liberalism and individualism. We need to embrace certain elements of fascism and their, and their views of nationhood. And we need to embrace certain elements of communism and their views of egalitarianism, mash them all together. And we can put into what is called in a German philosophical term, the Dazen. And the Dazen is the paradox of being an individual and with your own thoughts and having to integrate with society. And we need to create a a Russian culture that enhances this view of like, yes, you are an individual, but you're also one of us as well. And we need to blend those things together. And Mm. I I found it to be a fascinating read. Mm. Um, And also just like useful critiques of different countries in there, but also like being like, oh, but that's what America does good at. You know, it's, it's very like sober. It's a very sober read too. It's It's really interesting. I mean, one of, 
an irony that sticks out to me is how much you highlight how Russia is is moving away from communism, and yet Western liberalism, at least the brand that that the United States is is subject to right now, far more resembles communism than anything else. I would say. I mean, eh, fascism. Ha- sure. I, I think a lot of the ideology, like the ideological threads around egalitarianism, is yep. very Marxist. Sure. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think socially egalitarian Marxist, economically, commercially, whatever. We we love big private cartels sure which is fascism sure right? it's well, state sponsored big private philosopher cartels. of of political systems yeah so that, whatever. that would be an easy way to distinguish between the three right sure. so communism is like the state ownership of these things right well fascism says we're going to allow for private ownership but it's going to be cartelized so there's less and and so there's you know perfect profits for that one cartel uh, and then, and I'm not, I'm, I'm using the word perfect profits there technically, like they mm. mean the right profit margin by regulation. Mm. So then we can get the efficiency of liberalism without the inefficiency of communism and, mm. and, and the problems of uh, state ownership. And, but the cartel has to do what the state says and head in the right direction. Now, if you distinguish that from American progressivism, there is no distinction. It's the same philosophy, right? Right. Of we are all in this together. We're a bundle of sticks that have to hold together. Otherwise, we're going to be broken apart, right? That's that literally where the word fascism comes from. Hmm. So the that idea of state, you know, corporatism or state-controlled cartels that then head in the direction that's said by the political leader, that idea itself is pervasive all across our economy, right? We, sure. we love that idea in America. We just call it progressivism here rather than fascism so we can feel good about it. Russia has that too. What happened was is to go from nationally owing everything to private ownership, you have to privatize everything. Uh, if you listen to Scott Horton, his account to it, and I think it's very interesting. I, I haven't dug into it enough, but his account of it is that effectively, in, after the fall of communism, the State Department, along with private actors, came into Russia and you know privatized everything. Uh, with that privatization, it actually tore apart the Russian economy in very terrible ways, a lot of inefficiencies, a lot of cronyism, a lot of terrible things that you would guess would happen when you have a nationalized everything government and you go to a large corporatized everything government run by the CIA or other kinds of actors from the State Department. Well, well, and this was one of the things in the Oliver Stone interview, um, because one of the critiques of Putin was always laid out that Putin is doing away with a lot of privatization and trying to take state control back. And Putin was like, no, 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 that's, that's not what happened. (laughs) And he he goes on to, he goes to explain that, no, there was like a handful of oligarchs who based off of their relationships with the government could make billions of dollars in like a second, just because, because of their relationships with the government. And we did away with that practice and tried to install more merit-based systems. Hmm. (laughs) And, and like, it was just like, kind of like, Kind of like the West would do, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah like, I mean, Russia like we're, get, we're getting rid of the cronyism yeah. because the crony, cronyism has been laden there since the fall of the Soviet Union because everybody's come in and cartelized everything, right? Right. Mm. right. Mm. So it's, it's so Russia and in the and in the MSNBC part of the world, right? Russia's like Liechtenstein free market capitalism, right? They want to set it up as like a Republican utopia, like a conservative Republican utopia. It's not that. It's something far closer to us. It looks way more like our economy, just with more corruption and problems from a formerly state-owned capital system. Hmm. So, and, and like the 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 should Putin like from a prescriptive point of view privatize more market, allow for more competition, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. You could you could write prescriptions for it, but what he's dealing with is native to his country in this context. Well, well, right? and, and that was another thing is Oliver Stone would ask him like, "Well, do you know? Do you want to? Why aren't you getting there?" And he's just like, "Step by step." 
Yeah. Russia has a thousand years of history. Yeah. <laughs> like we, uh, we got to go there step by step. There's a lot of barriers in the way. And he even says like bureaucracy runs the world at the end of the day. And, and he, he used that as an, as an examination of American politics of like, it doesn't really matter who, who becomes president because the bureaucracy runs everything, but Russia faces the same problems. Yeah. And, and he just was blatant about that. In our case, it's good Based. that bureaucracy runs everything because Biden's not running anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I would just call that good. Yeah, it's all relative. Right? <laughs> all right. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. Well, and jump into immigration. All right. Yeah. So we had a new immigration bill got negotiated between the Senate, um, Democrats using the Republican, uh, and the White House. Tons and tons of spillings, millions, gazillions, billions. That's not important. The important thing is, is it was sold as an immigration bill. It did almost nothing to change immigration policy, but it spent a lot of money on immigration. Therefore, the immigration police union endorsed the bill. Um, and then, therefore, it was used by a lot of Democrats to say that this was all you know, going to solve the immigration problem. And it's a typical Democrat strategy. Spend lots of new dollars. Offset it by nothing. Don't cut anything. It doesn't matter how big the deficit is. Just spend new money. Print it up. Run that printing machine. We're going to spend more money, and that will solve the problem. It's just a matter of getting everybody enough of the tax dollars to solve the problem. But almost all the bill wasn't about immigration. It did spend new money on immigration stuff because that's been in the news. You saw Brett Weinstein. You saw all that kind of stuff and all the coverage of the millions of illegal immigrants who are coming to the country. But it spent even more money on Ukraine and Israel. Really? So is the Biden administration using the mo- issue of the moment? Like this is a branding thing we talked about last podcast, right? In DC, they look at Twitter too, right? In fact, they're on Twitter more than anybody. And what they saw was everyone freaking out about immigration. So like, well, we'll put immigration in the bill. And that will get us the military industrial complex and the contractors and the people who make the most money on that, the money they need to continue the war in Ukraine and to uh, subsidize Israel. Not mm. saying so the Israel thing is the right decision. But every, you know, even the very pro-Israeli House conservatives said, there's no offsets. There's nothing here to change. There's no immigration policy change of substance. Like there are small stuff that they added in uh, as to an appeaser to House Republicans. But largely Senate Republicans were saying like, this doesn't really do much because, and there was like a trigger amount of 5,000 people per day where they gave certain authorities away. Not important. The big thing there is that there was, insubstantial policy change with a lot more spending. And at the last minute, last, I mean, before it even passed the Senate, the new speaker, the guy who got put in after McCarthy was kicked out, Mike Johnson, Mike Johnson came in and said, uh, no, we're not even, no dead on arrival. Not good enough. Get back to it. Mm -hmm. Give me actual policy reform. And that's exactly why he got put in a speaker. Yeah. So the the guys who got throttled by the all the conservative press, all these Glenn Beck and Mark Levin and all those all the conservative pundits and talking heads. Uh, who was the guy? The 
Fox News guy that Hannity mm. Hannity throttling these guys calling them you know betrayers of the country and not patriotic like Matt Gates Matt Rosendale all those guys were in there fighting the good fight they all got just got bailed out by that speaker that everyone condemned them for get putting into power awesome right and so that's it ticks me off when I watch that and they don't even recognize it they just go like oh good job Speaker Johnson and they just go move on like they didn't oppose putting that guy in and you know obviously the guy who was in before he very likely would have bent the knee on this. Oh yeah, Kevin oh, McCarthy. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy for sure. Well, I mean, he was he was making deals on other stuff that was far less consequential to the U.S. public interest. Where I feel like immigration is probably the most popularly aware like issue that that the U.S. is facing at the moment. That's right. Right. I mean, it's it's the one that's in the headlines. We got Texas dealing with this thing. We got the battle with the feds over it. Um, which how did that end up? By the way. Well, I mean, we when we talked about it. What I tried to leave as a general impression was that this isn't a hot war. This is a conflict, right? It's a constitutional conflict. And we have these actually all the time between states and the federal government. This isn't new. So uh, it is very old jurisprudence going all the way back to Marbury versus Madison about whether or not a state can prevent a federal officer from doing their job. Uh, But it's also very contemporary. It happens all the time where states and the feds are disagreeing about drug policy or Medicaid spending policy or all kinds of things that go to courts and then get sorted out. Did somebody back off between the feds and Texas? I think it's still in a conflict. Yeah. So are we not going into the boogaloo? I don't don't think the boogaloo is there. I think think there was never a chance of that really uh, because, you know, the likelihood that a a state officer is going to shoot at a federal officer is so low. Right. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So basically they said, no, you can't come. And then the feds are kind of still playing the game because what are the feds going to do? Right. They can either get into a real hot conflict. Um, they can wait on the court process to work, which would work better for them. Uh, or they could literally be filmed cutting down border fences in an election year, which is a bad look. Yeah. It's a bad so look. there's just like no good way for them to win on this. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but on the other side of it, you do have reporting from Alex Jones, other sorts of figures on the right saying that a lot of this is an illusion too for gamesmanship on the right, mm. that there is still a lot of illegal immigrants coming through. There's a lot of areas that still need border, you know, barriers put up and yeah. actual surveillance. Stuff. On that, I, I saw one video, and this is just a TikTok video of a guy like driving by a section of border fence. And it was like, you know, you had Humvees and, and armed border patrol agents at one gate. And he's literally like a mile down the road. And then there's just an open gate and no one at it. And you're just like, well, wait, I mean, I get it. It's a lot of border, you know, a lot of different gates and other, you know, penetrations and places to have to patrol and deal with. But um, if that sort of thing exists or is this all just for show around these sort of like central areas where we talked about this too. Like the goal is to push people into a controlled process and out of an uncontrolled process. It isn't to stop all asylum seekers and all these other things. Right. So to the degree to which what you could be looking at is a port of entry that just has that sort of thing saying it's inconvenient to come through here. So we're going to push you over here. That could be it. I don't know. So it's just kind of like a triage, stop the bleeding where it's the worst, which is right here try to get them through at least the proper entry point where they so can that be. you can actually get their information yeah. and set a court date for them and actually hear what their asylum case is because yeah, yeah. most of these people are asylum seekers and people who are you know trying to escape you know devastating economic conditions or political prosecutions or whatever right so because you're a chinese dissident and you're a dude who's in china saying i hate this covid policy and you're trying to stand up to your government and there's a hit out on you from your own government you leave and you go to south america and you come to america because you you hate COVID policy. That could be somebody, right? You would want to be able to maybe let that person in or not. 
right? You want to have have that debate. Yeah. Um, Certainly want them to come in yeah. like through some sort of legal process. Where you know who they are. Where you, yeah. Are. Yeah, right. Which we know that there are, I mean, they're sort of the, the, the folks that are coming in the country are divided into, um, oh, I, I forget the exact terminology of these, but the ones that they actually like can uh, run into, they meet, and then the ones that never get intercepted at all. Right. The, right. Uh, right. I forget what they call them, not runaways, but something like that. We're like gotaways maybe where it's like they're coming in through places that are desolate, aren't patrolled or guarded. We don't know who those people are at all or how many of them yeah. there are. And often by trespass, often right. by going over private land. Right. And that's, and that's the other kind of component to this is the enforcement of trespass where they're collaborating more with uh, state police, with private landowners to enforce the border. Uh, by using trespass as a legal mechanism to kick them out of country. Yeah. The question is, is just like, you know, it's, it's an open debate we need to have, but we can't really have that debate as long as the, we have a crisis of 4 million people crossing the border and most, and many of them, I think like three quarters or whatever being completely unknown. Yeah. Right? Well, we don't have their information. We don't know if they are, you know, just someone looking for a job or if there's somebody who's actually here to, you know, conduct black or gray hat operations, meaning right. they're here as a fifth column to actually destroy infrastructure in the case of a war or have um, uh, information operations or something like that to influence American politics. Really quick, that term fifth column has been used a couple of times. Can we define that? Means you're like the, the technical definition is means you're like a it's like the same as like a third rail. Like, you know, you have four columns that set up a structure and you're the fifth column. You're not really necessary. Mm. Like that's the idea there. I, I believe that's what that means. Interesting. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sub group within a larger society meant to undermine the larger group or nation. Right. That's the idea. So it was like often considered that there was a fifth column of communists in America, uh, in Hollywood specifically that were meant to propagandize the rest. Um, the column is being like something that supports society and like it is unnecessary, right? It is a need yeah. for the, for the unnecessary order. or perhaps damaging, but, right? but, but that, but that changes the underlying calculation of, of, of being in that a member of the larger group of society, yeah. the social order. Yeah. Like if you're within the four pillars of allowable opinion kind of a thing, and then there's these ones that you're not. Yeah. They could be the outcast. They could be the fringe or they could be. Russian assets, you know, it could be whatever. But it, it does have, it didn't, didn't, tends to have like an intentional clandestine thing, right? Where it's not just people who are the wrong kind of people because I've judged them to be that way. It is more intentional, the, divine. The basket of deplorables. Designs. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like <laughs> if, if you were, if you were a, a, a bad actor, how would you get them into America in order to undermine American political system in the event of a war? That would be a fifth column or sleeper cell agents or something yeah. like that. Well, there, there, there's a conversation around that, right? I mean, with, with Brett Weinstein going down to the Darien Gap and observing what he observed. I mean, he's a, he's a scientist, so he's approaching it in a very, like, kind of controlled Biology, scientific yeah. manner. Um, what, his, his assertion is, or at least the way I heard him describe it was, when he approached this issue years ago, when he was still a college professor, thinking about motivations behind some different population dynamics that are occurring within China, he didn't think that there was necessarily a probability that the young men leaving China um, because of their population disparity with the one child policy were going to be coming to the U S in the form of some sort of military force. But since his trip and we can dig into what he discovered and observed during his trip, he says he, he seems to have changed his hypothesis around that to see that it 
might be more likely that that is in fact the case based on some of the things he observed, which I found really interesting. Did you guys happen to, to listen to his yeah, interviews? There was also that? elements too, because there was tons of Asian men that were part of these groups, these migrant groups coming across the Darien Gap. And Darien Gap is in Panama. Um, and and to, to describe it, it's like 60 miles of super dense jungle full of threats and it's completely impassable terrain with steep muddy hills and all sorts of stuff. I mean, thieves and you name it. It's incredibly well, difficult. Well, well and the, the interesting thing too, is he was saying that one of the guys he was with was trying to like trick people into speaking Chinese because there was people that were like trying to pretend to be other Asian, you know, yeah. backgrounds. Yeah. And then he, he would like trick people into actually using Chinese instead of like Korean or uh-huh. something. Right. Uh-huh. So that, that was interesting where yeah. there was, there's people that seem to be trying to hide their yeah. nationality. Um, well, I guess to, to back up one step, just to make sure that everyone's tracking this. So, um, so Brett Weinstein, a biologist has a podcast, the dark horse podcast. He was recently interviewed by Tucker. He and his wife uh, talked about this on their own show, which is a really good listen. I'd recommend checking that out. Um, he went, he went down to this area of South America to understand where it was that all of the migrants that are coming into the U S are originating from. And it's Ecuador. They fly into Ecuador because they have very lax visa restrictions. You can fly in there with pretty much without any documentation at all. Um, and then from Ecuador, they have to travel this really difficult path called the Darien gap into Panama where they are, you know, then the, the state of Panama sort of has the responsibility of helping to manage these people in a lot of ways, but via camps, where they can at least have some sort of infrastructure and they're not just living off the land the cam- in, in, the camp in stuff terrible is also conditions. And then also trafficking them out of the country or through the country with the help of non-governmental organizations, NGOs, uh, some of whom are, are like just directly, like their purpose is to, tr- to traffic migrants through South America. One, one of the interesting things is um, the linkage with the uh, De- Department of Homeland Security. What's is it? The Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, the Alexandros uh, uh, Miller, whatever Mayorkas, his name is. Yeah. Mayorkas is, is that what Alejandro, his role yeah. is? Yeah. So he was on the board of one of these uh, NGOs, which goes back to this NGO uh, goes back to the eighteen uh, hundreds, and he is. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by you guys handling oh, drinks. Sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. No, I'm just, I, I, can't, yeah. I can't keep my strain oh, of thought right sorry, now. Sorry, sorry, we're fighting sorry. over Zesties here. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Roll that ad. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to unf*** the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry like, Sometimes yeah. you just get thirsty. You need to grab yourself a zesty beverage. Man, talking about the jungle just has me all, all parched. All thirsty. Yeah, I, I'm getting this wild grapefruit out of the jungle. <laughs> In uh, the spirit of South America, I've cracked this Pina Montana. <laughs> but made right here in Bozeman. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. So what's up with Mayorkas? Yeah, so with 
Mayorkas. So he was on the board of directors for this NGO that goes back to the 1800s. Um, it, it's called HIAS. It's like the Hebrew inst- something like, and what the, what the group used to do was they would um, bring Russian Jews out during the pro- pogroms and, and migrate them. Mm. And so this NGO has become very big in 150 years and it has like a $60 billion budget, all this stuff. Wow. And they're the ones running the camps right now. And he's on, he's on the board of directors for it um, for this group, which is just currently, I think he might have dropped it when he took the secretary position. I would think that would be some sort of prerequisite, but these days you never know. But he's also been like one of the big thorn in the sides for actually, uh, for actually uh, enforcing immigration laws and stuff too. Well, right. He he was just, you know, there was an attempted impeachment uh, that failed criticizing him for not actually enforcing immigration laws that are on the books. Correct. Yeah. So the, the, the the dynamic there is there, there's just, there seems to be interesting clandestine elements that are happening here. Yeah. That's probably like multifaceted. It's not just like, it's not just China and the belt and road initiative. Like it's, there seems to be more going on here that we're yeah. just unclear on. Yeah. There, there, right. there was some parts of the Weinstein interview. I think were fascinating. And I think his environmental stuff with it and like how the environment is being degraded by these people migrating across this jungle. Um, and leaving stuff all over it and the terrible human tragedy of it. I, I really appreciate the coverage there. I wasn't so sure of like a lot of his conclusions, speculation and stuff like that. But he, he, was he tried careful. to be very clear about he that. Was, like like he, he tried to be like, now I'm speculating here. Yeah, right? Like he yeah. did a lot of that. I really appreciate that yeah. about him because he, he did a great job saying like, here's what I, here's what I saw. And then here's what I think based mm-hmm. upon what I saw. But um, we do have a video of him kind of talking about some of the stuff that uh, he was coming to conclusion on went down thinking that I was going to see a migration and other people have called it an invasion and I came away with the sense it's probably literally both. The way that manifests is you have a massive movement of people through the Darien from Colombia. Most of those people actually start in Ecuador and the reason they start in Ecuador is that Ecuador has a policy where they don't require a visa. So people coming from all over the world can land in Quito, Ecuador, find their way through Colombia, move through the Darien, and if they survive it, which not all of them do, they can then get relatively directly all the way through Central America into the U.S. By the time they've come through Darien, almost all of them have been robbed. Women are being raped. Lots of people are dying. The migrants talk about stepping over bodies. Many of them are South American, but that is by no means the whole story. People are coming from the Middle East. We met Afghans. We met people from the Caribbean, Haitians. There are people from Yemen, Iran. So one of the things there is like the politics of the invasion rhetoric. Some of it's kind of is is true in a sense, specifically when you look at the white replacement thing that the Democrats talk about regularly that apparently no one else is supposed to talk about because if you talk about it, then you're a racist unless you're a Democrat um, that we talked about <laughs> yeah. some time ago. If you yeah. talked about it a decade ago, you're fine yeah. if you were a Democrat. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. yeah, which is that you import people who vote Democrat so that you can have a majority. Right. Um, and this was an overt strategy of the Democrat Party for a long time. And Vivek talked about it, and now everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. And now we're, you know, talking about it again. Mm-hmm. So that's the sense in which I think is most accurate to invasion. I wonder about, like, the rest of it. There's, like, a, there's like a stipulation and a speculation, it's debatable, about whether or not a, poly, a country like China or anywhere else, like Iran or whatever, or um, South America or something like that, it has an overt policy specifically to 
invade America through covert means to bring a bunch of, like I said earlier, fifth column people here to overthrow the government. Right. I don't think we have any evidence of that, but it's a, it's a risk because we don't know these people. Right. So that's, that's kind of the space it's existing in. Well, that's kind of the purpose of things being clandestine is that we're not going to know if it's right there. Well, I think there, there might be, there might be evidence, but there, there isn't proof, right? The evidence would be that, you know, as Brett Weinstein talks about that there are two separate camps of migrants on the other side of the Darien. There's the, the South American camps and then there are the specific Chinese camps. Which and is interesting. Are, and they don't and they don't mix. The, they don't uh, mix. And and he he and his team were able to tour through the South American camp, but they were not allowed in to the Chinese camp. So I sent this video to you guys from time ago, but I don't remember actually talking about it on the podcast. I don't know if we did or not. It's the muckraker. I sent video. it to you. So, oh yes. Okay. And you said it was bullshit. Well, no, I did not. I said <laughs> yes, you did. I, I said it I misframed it. some things. <laughs> I say they misframe some things because if you even go by their own stuff, like, for example, they'll talk about the Chinese camps and then they interview a Chinese guy and he's a political refugee. Okay. He's yeah. running from the Chinese government. He criticized. Allegedly. Yeah. Maybe he's, a, maybe he's lying. Sure. We don't but, know. I mean, in the, it, so if you can just deny evidence because it doesn't fit your preconception of a... I'm not know, denying anything. I don't, not, I don't mean you. I mean the proper you. Like, if someone were to okay. just deny evidence of people claiming to be political refugees without any evidence and then say that therefore that's evidence that they're just because they're Chinese that it is an evasion of a black hat or something like that. Sure. That would, that's, that's where I get down there. I'm just saying we don't yep. know. Yep. And we do have evidence of both direction. Their testimony is they're political refugees trying to run from a terrible communist dictatorship that locked down their entire country in a gulag for two years. Yeah. Right. And I would, would I would run too. Run, yeah. Right. I would run too. Much less if you have a 20% unemployment rate amongst young Chinese men. Well, but there, there are run. two separate things there, though, right? I mean, and Weinstein makes this distinction. There's economic refugee and there's political refugee. Right. Political refugee does get granted asylum in the United States, but economic does not or should not if you're properly following the law. Let me ask you something. Philosophically, do you think there's a distinction? I mean, I... What's the distinction? I don't think so technically, but, if, but if, I would say the distinction would be in most people's minds probably like... Uh, I can't get a job or the economy is total crap yeah. and, and I can't afford to feed my family. So I need to leave this place and go somewhere that I can afford to survive Right. versus, you know, uh, I'm a part of the minority party and I'm being, you know, my, my people are at risk of being imprisoned or, you know, discriminated against in a meaningful way because I don't have the right ideology. I would say that would be my primary distinction between the two. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I don't know. It might I'm, be more nuanced. I'm, I'm sure it's more nuanced than that. I'm actually not trying to suggest anything about immigration policy with this content, but I do want people to think about it. If you are a South American country that has been dominated by U.S. you know central or like U.S. agencies of foreign policy, like the intelligence boys, for a hundred years, uh, drug cartels, some of which are former assets of said intelligence agents, like the Zeta drug cartel called Los Zetas. Um, which we know is public knowledge. You can find it on Wikipedia. Has connections to the the intelligence agents. A lot of ex CIA boys too. That, yeah. That de facto, you know, they they leave the CIA and then they start running all this stuff too. Like there's a lot of that that goes on. We use them during the Iran Contra scandal to move drugs and money to American cities. In order to, from yeah, everyone knows the Iranian that that scandal, yeah, right? Yeah. So. If you're from that country and the reason why your country is poor and there's no jobs and they're experimenting with socialism is because of 100 years of American foreign policy, what's the distinction? 
Yeah, you're saying the economy is crap because politically they've been manipulated for a long time by the United States. Well, or, or whomever. Intelligence, yeah, assets of the sure. United States. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you're public. saying... Which is a lot of what's going on in like El Salvador. So like when you end up having Bukele come in here and he's trying to crack down on all this stuff and the American government's like, no, you shouldn't do that. It's like, yeah, but your agencies are doing this in my country, right? Yeah, right. And, and I'm not saying, therefore, we should accept more political asylums or economic asylum, right? But I am saying we should... These are the reaping of what we have sowed. Sure. Right. Perhaps is at least a component of it. If yeah. if you're going to if you're going to do the Jordan Peterson thing, clean your room. Clean your room. <laughs> I didn't do and it. And you're going to take that. responsibility mm-hmm. for your actions. That would be the embodiment of such thing. For sure. Uh I would contend that I don't think the United States is very good asylum from political persecution or or economic uh, woes either. I mean, mm. certainly orders of magnitude better than a lot of third world countries. We already got yes. the social credit system here, right? <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's not as good as it could be or has been, yeah, I would it's, say. It's, it's been implemented, though. I, I think it could be better. As someone who's felt the brunt of it, yeah. it's mm. been implemented. Oh, no, no I, don't distrib- I don't dispute that at all. But I think the average person that we're talking about in this case, they're on a list of a drug cartel that doesn't like them and they don't like the drug cartel because of something that happened in their past. I've met people like that. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, it's a different level of resolution. Additionally, you can blend in with 350 million Americans, right. And try to go underground. Right. Uh, well, and that's while the problem. Earning 10 times the amount of wealth on a daily average. And then sending it back to your if family. To your that family. is still back there. Right. Right. And, and avoiding the, the, the laws around the payments by just using Bitcoin or something and just sending it directly to your family. Right. But, but I think the thing that a lot of Americans take issue with is that, you know, a a lot of these, I mean, the policies that we're seeing implemented or suggested are, you know, for example, giving migrants like credit cards that are re-upped regularly with thousands of dollars a week or a month so that they can live in these cities, overwhelming public resources and infrastructure mm-hmm. on taxpayer dollars while people are struggling to pay grocery bills and utility bills and their communities are being well, right. literally Eric overcome. Adams, Eric Adams, uh, mayor of New York, didn't he just announce some big, like however many million dollars going towards refugees, right? I think it's and, like 53 million Yeah, it's like 50, something. it's 50 something, right? Yeah, well, and, and, and it's and, to give them credit cards that are and, re-up And just regular. like a month ago, he's just like, we have a migrant problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and was, then he's like, but Joe, let's pay for the migrants. It was just recently. The economy. They, it was just recently. They closed a school in New York so that they could house migrants there. The kids could not go to school, public school that taxpayers are paying for. <laughs> to be fair, just for just for like a day and a weekend. I know it was yeah. a day, but yeah. still, but still, <laughs> that's a day of school that's that a something kid doesn't that get that their parents are paying for. Yeah, and it's on top of the thing. Like they have like an encampment that the government runs, and for some reason they had to shut down the encampment, move them to a school for a little while, and then move them back. Yeah. Even in that circumstance, we'll only find out about it because it had this outcome. But even in that circumstance, it's a terrible welfare program that shouldn't exist. I don't think it should exist. But these are the consequences of 100 years of American terrible foreign policy decisions across South America and Central America. And this is, and not to mention, uh, I wonder why someone from Afghanistan might go to South America. Maybe because we spent 20 years and billions of dollars completely ruining the country. I completely, you know, I can't, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, I understand right. force. Why <laughs> would someone from Iran ever want to come to America? You better Maybe because they're run by a religious dictatorship that puts people in prison for not wearing the right headwear. Why does that dictatorship exist? Because we threw their democratically elected person in prison for not giving the British as much oil as they thought they should. Well, get. and that's the thing about a lot of these places like, is, you know, everybody's always concerned about the caliphate's going to form in all these places. 
all of these places were like secular Bathists. Yeah, were, were secular areas. Yeah. Like Egypt, Libya, Syria, Iran. They were all like very secular and on the come up. And then we just like threw them all down and now they're just like, you know religious persecution is going on in the places and there's like slavery happening, you know, and, all and, within a couple decades that all just changed. And, right? and now they're coming to America hmm. after our terrible foreign policy decisions. Now that doesn't mean that it's therefore okay or that we owe them money or something, but we can't, we can't ignore the cause and expect to find a solution. And what term. it means is we need to use the lessons of the past to make different foreign policy decisions today. Yes. Knowing that, we can be creating even worse issues 20 years from now if we let the Ukrainian crisis continue to go. Because we've already talked about on previous episodes, Ukrainian refugees flooding into Ireland and yeah. other European nations. I mean, those problems will compound there just like these problems have compounded here. But what, what is it? The neocon project from the 90s, uh, the project for the new American century, mm-hmm. right? This was, this, was the whole, um, this was the whole concept of it is we won the 20th century and now we are the unipolar world order that's just deciding all the rules and we have to stamp down on any potential power hub that might pop up anywhere. So anyone that seems to be kind of like, cause like we need to treat them as vassals. We're not going to treat them as partner States. We're going to treat them as vassal States. And, and anytime anybody's just like, Oh, I'm going to go against the IMF or the world bank or whatever. We're just like, Oh no, no. You want to have a gold standard. Can't have that. Right. It's like, you can't get rid of them. So, yeah. and, and that has a cost. And we, the cost is delayed, and because of the delayed cost, we can't collate these things. Right? We, don't, we don't associate it because it's not happening around. The migrant crisis across Europe made complete sense once you see that there's a million displaced Iraqis. Yeah. Right, from the Iraq war. Once you see that, you're like, oh, well, that makes sense why there's all these, and then not to mention the Arab Spring and all the violence around Syria and Libya, Libya. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. pushing people up into uh, trying to escape war. Into, uh, into Europe and causing tremendous loads and terrible things that are happening in, in, uh, across, across Europe. I understand and sympathize with their problems. And it exists because, those, because of America's foreign policy. America's foreign policy leads decisions. So, so that's, that's the thing. Is like one of the things that just drives me, like if you don't take it to there, you're not actually solving the problem. Additionally to that, America, there is a, there's an underlying assumption here that American jobs are being taken by immigrants. This is true for a select set of American jobs, but not most American jobs. The economics literature here is so clear. Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference between someone who can speak English and someone who can't in the labor market. And if you don't think that, think, think, spend 10 seconds thinking about it. Yeah. Would you rather work with somebody who can speak English or not as an American? Yeah. But some of the, co- some of the costs of not having to deal with, like if, if it's a legal labor, some of the costs outweigh the not being able to speak English or, right. or the benefits outweigh because you're able to pay them right. way less than you would somebody that's having to get through like FICA and all, you know, right. all that stuff, right? But at some uh, level, there's probably competition happening where there's so much that it's a problem. Totally agree. At some point that it is. Are we there yet? We have no idea because we don't base any of this stuff on marketplace demand, marketplace supply, how much actually of peaceful, healthy individuals who actually want to come into the country that would be helpful. We don't base it on that. We base it on how big a welfare programs can we build, right? We base it on like how many union jobs do we want to protect all the wrong measurements we base it on. That's, that's the brokenness of the system. And I, what I'm not advocating for is a completely open system. I'm just saying our current measurements are completely broken and they're not, they're not based on reality at all. Yeah. Anyways. Well, yes. Speaking of war in the middle East, we dropping bombs or what? I just want to claim, <laughs> I just want to claim that we are exactly right. 
we predicted that he was going to drop over a hundred million dollars in missiles to def- to fight back against a group that uses a sixty dollar drone, and it's exactly what happened. Oh, I don't want to celebrate this. This is, this is <laughs> don't make me do it. Do, do it. Do John Cena. Don't do that one. Do John Cena. <laughs> okay. Biden is John Cena in this no, scenario. We, we are John. Are Cena. we John Cena? Yeah, we're dropping. Well, he dropped the bombs. Oh, oh, we're dropping. His name is John Cena. So I just okay. saying that's just the John Cena pile driver right into Iraq or something oh, right there. But yeah. it does it does demonstrate a lot of the explanatory power of the sovereign individual thesis, right? And technology has kind of changed the calculation that you could have a relatively small, relatively low technology or advanced tech uh, sort of effort that creates a hugely disproportionate response from a president to spend, you know, way less money. So a great example. So how, 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 many, how much did we spend in Afghanistan? I have no idea. How much did they spend on 9-11? I have no idea. Right. Like in the disproportionate response and how, you know, America's has serious deficit problems because of the billions of dollars spent on Afghanistan versus the maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in training and time and effort to, to make 9-11 happen. Seems reasonable. Well, and and that's the thing. That's exactly the math that when the intelligence boys were training uh, bin Laden to do this exact same thing against the Soviets in Afghanistan, the whole math is that you're going to spend way less money and they're going to have to spend a lot of money. And that's going to make the, uh, the empire overexpand themselves. And so bin Laden just kind of took that same calculus and threw it back at us. Right. Um, and, yeah. the, and the lesson from that is to realize that that is the motive of your opposition. And rather than give them what they want, deny them what they want with a different strategy. No, we got to spend more money on military spending. Dave. <laughs> yeah. Right. And more bases and stuff like that, rather than strategic offshoring. Right. Well, Use drones to fight drones. Well, and, and all the lobbying, all the lobbying efforts will tell you that the more money you spend, the more successful you will be. Here's all the data that suggests that. Here, <laughs> give us more money. Right. Because you can make it data say whatever you want it to say, and they'll just keep feeding that into the system. Right. So they did come out with an actual identification of the group. It was uh, Khatib Hezbollah. Now, how would you, would you guess? Uh, Who would you guess that is? Hezbollah? Any, any guesses? Well, Hezbollah, Hezbollah would suggest Hatib. Iran backing to me. Shiite, says, at minimum. Yeah. But yeah, they do indicate that. It's a, but, but guess where they came from? Isn't I would guess that's... Where's, uh, they were formed in response to America's invasion of Iraq. Yeah. The mostly Iraqi citizens. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably Iraqi like... Shiites. I was going to say it's probably like Syria-Iraq region, like in, in that area. So right? this is part of the problem of America's invasion of iraq it's another collateral consequence it's blowback from that a bunch of dudes said hey we're being invaded we're shiites they're invading the sunni government i kind of like it but it is the great satan america and they're going to come here to dominate us and bring in all the things we don't like right they're going to let the women vote and all that kind of stuff right so what they do all those guys got together they got weapons they went to they maybe went to iran and got training and funding and all that kind of stuff and now one of the reasons why the Shiites have become so powerful and why Iran has become such a hard target is because we overthrew their biggest opponent, Saddam Hussein. And now a Shiite government runs there who's kind of winking and nodding and saying, hey, we want America out. There's a lot of stipulation on this. I'm just, I'm just repeating what's being reported. Sure. That uh, the Iraqi government is saying we want America out. So maybe you give, give them a hard time. Maybe, uh, maybe you bum a little bit. Wink, wow. nod, plausible deniability. 
So it, it and, the, and the, they're they're all Shiites. They're all part of the same group, right? Uh, and they definitely don't want America that. Oh yeah, and then we partnered with them to try to get rid of ISIS because ISIS is a Sunni project. So we went to the Shiite militias and partnered with them to get rid of ISIS. And now they're attacking us for our support of Israel. It's the Dave Smith theory. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my favorite stories of all time was it was probably back in like twenty. 15 or so was when I just see a headline that says Pentagon forces fighting CIA forces <laughs> in Middle East. Classic. Right. And you're just like, Oh yeah, that explains everything right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just the insanity of our Middle Eastern policy. We have to change it. And it, and it won't happen until Americans say we need a different foreign East foreign American foreign policy. Well, right. We have to might've just said that. Ooh, this guy over here dropping transitions. (laughs) Damn. Nevada wants a different foreign policy. That's what I'm hearing. Definitely don't want Nikki Haley's foreign policy. Oh man. They want anything but Nikki Haley's foreign policy. In fact, we have a couple of images that I think we should probably pull up. So the the funny thing about this, so, so Nevada's primary happened, right? And uh, Trump wasn't on the ballot and there was a bunch of reasons for that. It was like, they had like a caucus, but they also had a primary. I don't know. It's, it's, it was all a mess, but, um, so the only person actually run, still running on that was on the ballot was Nikki Haley. But they also offered another option, which was none of these candidates. Well, I mean, and then a bunch of people that have already dropped out, they, they were also on the um, ballot, too. So you end up having uh, Nikki Haley here. She gets 33% of the vote with, uh, and this is just, this is a screen grab from like a, a day ago. So these numbers probably aren't completely accurate. But then you have um, none of these candidates getting 60% of the vote. <laughs> Um, <laughs> literally none of the above. Yeah. So Nikki Haley lost to nobody <laughs> in Nevada. And somehow 4% of people voted for Mike Pence also. Which, <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. He's, Tim he's Scott. still in there apparently. And Tim Scott's endorsed Trump. So <laughs> Mike Pence dropped out. I don't know. Okay. So yeah. can we explain, uh, why isn't Trump on this? It's a whole mess of shenanigans with uh, with Nevada. Like they're like, do a caucus, don't do a caucus, and it was just like, it, at the end of the day, it wasn't part of anybody's calculus. It just didn't matter. They they ended up putting all their delegates to the RNC. No, no, no. You don't get it. It's a grand conspiracy by the well, Trump campaign to not have on the ballot so that Nikki Haley would lose to nobody. Well, well, so and look <laughs> terrible. That's her current narrative. Well, well, and okay, wait, wait, wait. wait. I, I, I need I you to explain this more. Let, let, why let don't we her, let Nikki let, Haley explain let it? Nikki explain. <laughs> okay, wait, sure. Wait, wait, wait. Everyone's oh. favorite part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but before Nikki explains it, Joe, do you have anything to say? Um, very respectable. Uh, nice look. I like the buttons. Uh, the American flag <laughs> pin is a nice touch. Uh, nothing, nothing really remarkable to comment here. Simple, very, very plain. Simple, very yeah, simple. simple. Very presidential. You. Presidential. I, I think say. she's hearing you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. think so. Yeah. I'm having an effect. I don't know that last one. You really ripped into her, though. So, <laughs> well, piglet ears. <laughs> I wish you would have. Dr- anyway, let's go. Okay, so, so so here's Nikki explaining what happened in Nevada. Does that situation in Nevada hurt a little bit? No, I mean Nevada. It's such a scam. They were supposed to have a primary. Trump rigged it so that the GOP chairman, who's been indicted would go and create a caucus. We knew months ago that we weren't gonna spend a day or a dollar in Nevada because it wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't even count Nevada. That wasn't anything we were looking at. We knew that was rigged. 
from the start. Sure. Our focus is on South Carolina, Michigan, Super Tuesday. So if you look what we did in Iowa and you look what we did in New Hampshire, we're continuing to grow. That's what matters, I think, more than anything else. But look at what happened this week. Hmm. Here you have Republicans lost a major vote on the border. Mm -hmm. Republicans lost a major vote on Israel. Donald Trump was found that he will not have immunity in all of these court cases coming up. The RNC chair is fired. Mm -hmm. All of this chaos is happening around us and Donald Trump's fingerprints are on every bit of it. We can't continue as the Republican Party to go forward with this chaos. You don't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. Mm. And that's why we've got to see a change. Wait, so she just endorsed Joe Biden's board bill? Is that what just happened? Uh, Because conservatives said no to it? That that's example of chaos, as she defines it? This woman is terrible. She's absolutely horrible. (laughs) I have a question also. The she said the head of the RNC got fired. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so yeah, the Ron one that fake was yeah. criticized. Yeah, yeah. Yes. R- R- Ronna yeah. McDaniel. Um, yeah. she wild. Uh, yeah, she didn't get fired. I don't think she's just resigned. stepping down. Yeah, she, she resigned. resigned. But yeah. after but, after yeah. South Carolina, so she wants yeah. to watch Nikki get roasted one more time. She's got to roast the pig one more time. <laughs> oh man! So your words, not mine. <laughs> Lest anyone think I criticized Nikki Haley inappropriately, I said only How kind dare things, you, sir. Only kind things. How dare? Um, so what happens if she loses South Carolina? Is she? I um, mean, primary or, rolls on. Yeah, Trump, Trump trounces through the rest of them just like he has. Yeah, all I of mean, them like so at far. what point like, is she just drop? No, she sticks around in case he actually gets thrown off. Of in case he gets yeah goes to jail. Yeah. And, and even then, he still probably wins, even if he wins from jail. I because you can win too. from jail. Yeah, there's no well, well and there's she, no caveat. There, which still, is crazy. She needs to be the neo- like she needs decision. to be the symbol for the neocons of the Republican Party and continue to be that voice. There's because otherwise, there's no voice that happens, right? Yeah. So there's, there's no one attacking him from ostensibly from the right as she endorses the policies of Joe Biden. Hilarious, actively. Yeah, him. like. Because that, that's the thing is like everything that's going on in the primary right now, it's all symbolic. It's symbolic of where the culture of the GOP is heading. So that's what matters. And I just know Bennett's like symbolism. <laughs> um, it's on the second page. I got you, man. But, but that matters. Symbolism. That, that, that matters for the sake right. of where the future of the party ends up going. Because like, are we going to end up seeing Trump here for four more years? And then another Trump person like that, that, pushes half of the country in a very specific direction for decades right and like that's what this battle is over in in my opinion why the primary actually matters and why the never nikki movement that Rand paul started is like a very important movement uh all of these people need to come together and be like everything that nikki represents needs to be crushed all right theoretical hypothetical situation somehow trump is disqualified from running (laughs) nikki haley is the only one left in the race per se can Vivek come back out of the darkness and at still the, run at the convention? Oh yeah. So so it yeah. once if so you're saying there's a chance? Yeah, there's, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I would yeah, not put money on that. Yeah, because this is all but, about the delegates at the convention. Yeah, right? the, yeah. the so, convention ultimately decides everything. And there was a bunch of rules after 20, rules changes after 2008 and 2012 that made bound and unbound delegates and all that kind of stuff a major question depending on state and. <laughs> As things change, there's so delegates who who are there on behalf of another candidate. If that candidate pulls out of the race, right? Say Donald Trump 
has an unfortunate run-in with an assassin's bullet or something like that, all of those delegates then become unbound, and then at delegation can then figure someone else out. I see. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Uh, sure. Some states might throw another election up just to give delegates guidance and say, here, now that he's no longer in, here's that. So Iowa all of a sudden runs another primary. Totally possible. What? They yeah. can do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So it's... Um, Parties are private organizations, mm-hmm. right? They're semi-public in all these important ways that have to do with elections, stuff like that. They're working but, with the with the states on how to run the elections yeah, and stuff sure. like that, right? With varying degrees of of freedom of association rights, depending on state. So therefore, there's different kind of bounds either in their kind of founding charter and the rules that run them as a private organization, or in their state legislation that kind of say and inform what they can and can't do. This is why the process is different for Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. They all have, like, like the Libertarians don't even do this primary process. They just go to the convention, right? Right. Uh, the Democrats, they have the whole superdelegate thing. And remember with Debbie Wasserman Schultz rigging yeah. the election against Bernie Sanders and all the WikiLeaks and Seth Rich dying and all that stuff, right? <laughs> just, um, <laughs> just remember so, all these just things. Just remember those things in 2016. Remember how all that happened. I remember actually very funny going, going back to the Putin stuff Putin mentions that in the documentary really yeah he talks he talks about like yeah remember that time when the Democratic like the, the head of the Democratic National Convention they, they blamed it on the Russians yeah yep. yeah because really? that was that was what was being used Oliver Stone was like so there's all this cyber attack stuff going on in the 2016 oh, election yes, that's and, right. like, and Putin's just like yeah remember when the Democratic Party did that well I mean, the Democratic Party, the same year same they year. haven't changed at all I mean these are the same party that has not done a primary because Biden's the candidate candidate specifically cut you know rfk jr out of primaries in certain states and said we're just not going to do it here and rfk's favorability right now is interesting like it's interesting just there might actually be a third party swing like he's not going to win right but like it's gonna it's really gonna matter imagine if bernie had some actual huevos (laughs) and you know did something about it rather than just totally bow down to the structure well because yeah. and there are two other candidates running in the democrats right now dean yeah. phillips and marianne williamson anyone ever hear anything from them right nah. no. but what we do know is that democrats are also and I, I think it's msnbc is also knows that parties specifically third parties no well everybody but the democrats are a threat to democracy <laughs> everybody so we have to keep them away from the ballot box so historically at least modern history they're spoilers but with the current level of dissatisfaction with Trump and Biden, is there any chance you see this year could be different? Uh, no, I think that uh, third party candidates are spoilers. I mean, history could potentially repeat itself again. And now more than ever, the, the idea of a third party is a threat to our democracy. This is not the time for this. I understand the frustration that the American electorate has. People always express a certain amount of frustration with the two-party system. Um, and But that's the system we have. And we are not in a position now where we have uh, two candidates who equally are, are um, you know, who are equal threats to our democracy. Donald Trump is a threat to our democratic system. He says he wants to be a dictator on day one. You know, President Biden doesn't pose that threat. It's a policy difference. Or maybe people think that he's too old. Okay, well, you need to take a step back and look at what the choices are here. Third parties do not work. They're spoilers. So if you want Donald Trump to win the election, then go ahead, throw your vote away and vote third party. 
Um, if you Go don't and you want to maintain our democracy <laughs> and work within our system to reform it, maybe down the line. All right, that's enough. <laughs> wait, wait. Did you say she's a former? Didn't that wasn't that what it said in the beginning? Like, go back, go back to the first like cut to her. When it had her lower third up. Yeah. Former GOP. Former GOP comms director. This shows you yeah, how much of the comms directors and various different roles and campaigns are, are mercenaries. Are mercenaries. They, don't give, they don't care. Whatever will get them popularity and numbers and whatever. They'll do it. Well, it is funny because like she's going on talking about third parties and then she just sneaks into like Donald Trump. He's going to be a dictator on day one. And he's <laughs> also a threat to our democracy. So it's just like Classic. anybody that's not Biden is just like a threat to our democracy. Yeah. Right? Well, right. Yeah, because Biden can't function. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Biden represents the will of the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We really want things to be run behind the scenes. We don't actually want to know how the process works. We don't want someone who's articulate and is going to tell us what's going on because that would be that would sacrifice the illusion. It's all about round the clock sex. It's all come on, man. <laughs> that does shatter illusions. For sure. <laughs> Shatters more than that. All right. So um, round it out for us, Kyle. So um <laughs> Just to, as we continue to rag on Nikki Haley, um, <laughs> Nikki Haley was on, what is this, Jimmy Kimmel? Jimmy Kimmel has a whole bit about uh, celebrities reading mean tweets. And uh, Nikki Haley was given some mean tweets directed at her, and she's supposed to read them for comedy. Imagine for a minute that you're the comms director. like, this is a really good idea. We're going we're gonna to get so many views on this. We're gonna, Everyone's going to love it. Well, I, I, all I, the Dems I, are gonna love got it. Got a lot of views. Um, yeah, she she. Before we go into, she tweets out: "There are always going to be haters and doubters, but that means we're doing something right. The best way to troll the trolls: have a good laugh, make America normal again." Hashtag. Yeah. Return to normalcy. Steal that. Return to normalcy. So yeah, here is. Um, let's just yeah. Let's let's do this. Nikki Haley live. Mean tweets. Twenty four. You really? Yeah. I think my husband loves me. About 60%. Did she have a couple of affairs? <laughs> oh. Oh. Didn't she rename her husband too? <laughs> to her high school sweetheart. Yeah, she, she renamed her husband to her high school sweetheart. We never talked about that on the show. Yeah, we never talked about that show. That's because I don't know how substantial though that reporting yeah, is. I never did the research. There's just there's just a lot of Rumors. rumors around yeah. these things during her time of the governor and stuff and then yeah okay here's the next uh, the next one from andrew tate funny enough um, terrified of nikki haley <laughs> any man who knows how vindictive evil short-sighted and psychotic women can be this guy can't be married coupled with a basic understanding he's got like five wives <laughs> Takes a single look at Nikki Haley and is terrified. I genuinely believe her victory would spell the end of the free world. Dude, that's, I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> I'm gonna I don't come. know what to say about that. That's crazy. <laughs> Nikki Haley has a Wait, wait, pause real quick. I... Pause real quick. Now, this does raise the very important political question is, does she put off crazy girlfriend vibes? That's the physiognomy part. That's like what, what yeah, if, physiognomy is like how somebody's face uh, evokes, in, evokes you. in you. Yeah. Physiognomy. 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 Did I, I say it wrong? I think it's a silent G. Is it a silent G? I've, I think it's a silent I've G. I've only ever read the word on Twitter. Yeah. I thought it was <laughs> I was going to say we should put up a poll. You know, does Nikki Haley put off crazy girlfriend vibes? 
or not. But now I think we should put up a poll. Is it physiognomy? <laughs> I'll, I'll tweet Physiogn- it out. I'll tweet it out right now. Tweet it out. Tweet it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and wait, one more thing. Is it was that like clapping at the wrong time? Really weirdly done. Did you hear that? I like she's middle yeah. reading the tweet and they're like clapping. I was like, what well, if it, like, it feels like laugh track is off. Someone yeah. fat fingered the yeah. laugh track. It's, like yeah. it's not actually the audience. Yeah, I don't. I, I think these are probably aren't audience. Yeah, yeah, this is probably just in a room and they're doing the thing, right? Okay. But so, bad mix. So uh, the, the next one comes from uh, Still Gray, which is what is Ian Michael's Chong, Ian Miles Chong, whatever the Malaysian dude. No idea. Um, He's he's always sucking Elon's dick on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> he's that talked guy. about him before. <laughs> I remember that description. <laughs> Nikki Haley has a room temperature IQ. <laughs> True or false? Wow. <laughs> Nikki Birdbrain Haley. This is from Trump. Is losing big on caps in the polls against Crooked Joe. Where? I haven't seen it. I am beating him all over the place. She is weak on the border. I passed the toughest illegal immigration law in the country. I'm the strongest border president ever. Well, then why did you let three million illegals come into the country under your watch? That's all you have to know. Exactly. Why why are people laughing at this? Because when you think Nikki Haley can't get more annoying, the next day happens. <laughs> Wait till tomorrow. Wow, that was so cringy uh, so and cringy. not well done. It, it is. It is funny because Cat Turd, who was one of those tweets in there, <laughs> is under here saying, "You just proved my tweet right with this laugh track cringe." Yeah, it was so bad. That is so cringy. It, it's it, like they recorded that and like someone was like, "Yeah, post it." <laughs> Like they listened to that laugh track and thought, "That's good enough." Oh, there's a template. So, so, oh, oh, a template. We should have <laughs> used that one. Okay, I'll save it for you. Save that. Um, I'll send it to you. Joe. Okay, was anybody that that's actually, looking for good memes, go to the Discord. Was that actually on the Kimmel show, or is that just something her team? Thought? That's her team. Her okay. team built that. What was okay. it? Because like I, th- I, f- I mean, because there's know. no branding for. Kimmel or any of that stuff. Oh, yeah. you're right. So no, just, it's meant was... to take care of advantage of the of the internet meme to get views. And she's she's eyes trying and to people. pull the. They the just fake. stole his thing. Ideally, you ideally you use that as a platform to push back in a funny way, right? And show yourself as relatable and down to earth and be able to take criticism and stuff like that. But instead, it comes across as just super. Well, because normally the people who do it will like say a joke after. She should have hired some joke writer. Yeah, <laughs> she should have hired us. At least, is what you're saying. Wait, you're mm. you're telling me Thinking this wasn't actually on? They put this out and it wasn't on the show. Yeah, I, go, I, to the, I figured go to the first just... the like the intro video. So if it was, it would have. Oh yeah, it would have something yeah. on here. Yeah. No, just... this was made by a digital director of some oh. kind. Oh, so this is a sure. pretend late night yeah. show. Yeah, you guys didn't know that. I thought that was obvious. No, oh, I, oh, I oh, no, I I purposely didn't watch it until this. No, I didn't either. Like you. You, you, we put it in the thing and I was just like, I'm just going to wait till the podcast. It was cringier it. than I could have imagined. Yeah. Cause I also looked at it like, oh, that's going to be cringy. So yeah. yeah. Whoo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that- but, but Joe, um, the other, uh, how's her fit? <laughs> I don't know. You can't, can't you can't really tell. It. it looks, yeah. it looks it's fine. Pretty- I found her teeth distracting. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, all that's all we've got <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> Thanks for watching and listening. Please help us get to our first tier of monetization on YouTube. Watch this thing on YouTube if you can. Put it on silent in the background. I don't care. We got we got no ego about it. 
and yeah, uh, you know, we're going to be doing some cool stuff on TikTok soon. We've got we've got TikTok lives coming. So lots of exciting things orbiting the human reaction experience. Looks like I went out of focus. Check out our Substack. Check out the Substack. We got David yeah. writing on the Substack uh, here and there. We'll have the link in the description. Kyle, what what are you doing? Well oiled machine. <laughs> just as we're closing out, he's just like, oh, focus. <laughs> uh, well, that's all right. Nobody needs to look at me, anyways. Thanks so much for watching, guys. We'll see you in the next one. Told you her teeth were distracted. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash humanreactionpod. 